Mindfulness Mode 398. The things that get you started are not necessarily always those things that get you to the next step. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hundreds of guests have recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast, and I've pulled together the 12 most recommended books into a short 14-page ebook that's free for you. It's called 12 Must-Read Mindfulness Books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life, just like they have for my featured guests. Download this great free resource at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. Hey, have you ever been hypnotized? Have you ever seen anyone else being hypnotized? Well, I can only imagine the level of mindful awareness you'd need to be a hypnotist. My guest today has that level of awareness and has, get this, has hypnotized over a quarter of a million people. Oh, and listen up. He hypnotizes people so their lives can improve, whether that's in business, in corporate, in entrepreneurship. I mean, I am totally wowed by today's guest. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Jason Lynette. Hey, Mindful Tribe, this is going to be a fun, interesting, exciting uh, interview today. I have Jason Lynette here today, and he's a hypnotist. Jason, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am and ready for this. I'm looking forward to this one for quite some time. Oh, that's great. Jason Lynette is, like I said, a hypnotist who has hypnotized more than a quarter of a million people teaching many of them to use his system of rapport and modeling and helping them to understand what professional athletes and top business performers do differently so they can do it too. Jason speaks to groups around the world and offers hypnotic success coaching to share how people in business can put his work smart principles and strategies to use. Now, I love this next sentence, Jason. It says, rather than just hypnotize you to become more successful, he will help you de-hypnotize the misconceptions, fears, doubts, and ineffective strategies that are holding you back. And isn't that the truth? Jason's process isn't magic, but his results are definitely magical. So let's do some magic. So how does magic and how does hypnotism relate to mindfulness? What's your view on mindfulness, Jason? Well, I look at I look at everything in terms of if we want to get into the topic of different modes of helping people to really oversimplify it, perhaps for the entry to this, that I mean, even to pull in other categories like massage or even, of course, meditation or even hypnosis. These are basically category words, and inside of those categories are all different styles of the work. Though at its core, we often are talking about the same things just from different perspectives. And it's that place where we can get caught up in the terminology, but at the core of it, we're basically agreeing on things. What's interesting is with hypnosis, one of the working definitions that most of us live by is that it's the bypassing of those critical faculties of the mind, which... That's a lot of technical jargon, but basically it means that automatic response in spite of having to stop and think about it, which this is something we do on our own all the time. You're driving in a car, thinking of everything other than driving in a car, you still end up where you'd like to go. You're watching a movie, you know it's all fiction, they're actors 
dressing up and pretending, we still get swept up in the story. And the whole idea of dehypnotizing the stuff that's not working, let's take any personal issue a person might have where here's the one that knows that they're the one confident enough to get up and speak. They've got the skills, they've got the expertise, yet there's something holding them back. So in spite of that full conscious awareness, they're not able to do it yet. To which to those people I'd say, well, you know, congratulations, you're already doing hypnosis, let's show you how to do it better. But especially this mindfulness theme that to be in the mode, to be in the present, to be observing what actually is going on around us, and actually to be in the actual moment that we're in. That if you look at so much of the work that I'd often do with people is about dissolving those negative emotional sensations. But if it's a feeling of stress or frustration or anger or guilt, resentment, these are all feelings that point backwards at the past. As opposed to worry, apprehension, fear, anxiety, these all point towards the future. If you're really living mindfully in the present, those feelings can't quite exist. So in addition to resolving whatever the issue is, helping people to mindfully live in the moment, observe what's going on, what's working now, and even better, how to replicate it on their own. Yeah, well, as entrepreneurs, you know, we all, I'm sure, experience that certain things are holding us back, and it's usually us. It's usually within. And so we have to stop and just examine that. But you help people do that. How do you do that? Well, it goes about from a couple of different perspectives. There's a there's a catchphrase in my profession that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. And I would agree with that, except probably add one more word to the end of it, that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis eventually. That very often in the early stages, we need to learn how to go about doing it. So oftentimes, whether it's being live in the room with somebody or perhaps listening to a recording or reading something from a book, to get that guidance in that first initial stage in terms of what we're looking for. Uh, one of the things that often makes hypnosis a little different from the meditation world is that very often with hypnosis, we're looking also for that moment of hip, what we call hypnotic phenomenon, that moment where something magical is happening, which helps to validate the difference of that state of mind versus just a deep state of relaxation, which is not necessarily to discount the relaxation because that alone is going to be massively beneficial for someone looking to resolve some sort of issue. But the basic formula, as I live by, is create that magical moment and then ride that momentum to then produce that change. And did you Experience. ever struggle to create that magical moment? Did you have a tough time getting this all implemented at any point? I would say the biggest challenge, and this is part of the hypnotic dialogue sometimes, is that we're often looking for it to be something different than what it might be. It's where there's a part of the hypnotic experience, and we can model this for a business aspect too, but for the hypnotic experience, we begin with something called a pre-talk. And this is that place where it's helpful to explain to somebody, here's what you're going to experience, here's what you're going to be aware of, basically to set the stage for a successful experience. And to recognize that each of us, we're all kinesthetically different at times. So for some, they may experience a profound relaxation. For others, it may be almost a light and floating kind of sensation. Others, let's say it's a more cerebral experience that they just feel like they're sitting in a chair and someone's talking to them, that really there's not one specific hypnotized sensation. So early on, yeah, that's a great question. Early on, I was looking for it to be something a little different than what it would turn out to be. That again, from one person to another, my version of being hypnotized is actually an incredible auditory experience that here I was, I actually volunteered one time 
for one of those stage hypnosis shows where they get people up, get them to do funny things. And the biggest epiphany for me was that, yes, I used that definition earlier of bypassing critical awareness. My version of that was that I was responding to the hypnotist's suggestions and then I was hearing them. So I was acting upon the instructions and then I was processing the sound of what I had heard, which as soon as that was happening was one part of me going, oh, cool, that's what it is. <laughs> but at the same time, too, recognizing that it can often be a different subjective experience from one person to the other. Jason, you mentioned uh, meditation. Do you meditate? There are, there's a form of self-hypnosis that I make use of, which uh, is rather direct, takes about only 30 seconds to really process, which again, there's crossover at times from one modality of work to another. Uh, there's an interview, I forget where I heard this from, but it was someone who was being asked, what style of meditation do you use? And they were perhaps looking for a specific bullet point, a specific criteria. I do this one. And I love this interview because the response was, well, you know, there's things that I do that are meditative. So while at times it may not be a formal, let me sit down and close the eyes and run a process, I'm somebody who ritualistically is at a gym in the mornings lifting weights. And even though it's physical, strenuous activity, they, those weights are heavy sometimes, it becomes this real meditative experience that as soon as the hands are on the barbell, running that exact physiological sequence, which I am going somewhere. And I found this really cool correlation years ago that when I got into that, and that kind of became my grounding, my meditation in the morning, uh, my health rapidly improved, lost about 40 pounds that year. And uh, that's also the time frame in which I tripled the size of my business. Oh, was it? So recognizing, so recognizing that as we pull out that meditative quality of what we do, whether it's formal, as I still do with the self-hypnosis, or to emulate the meditative aspects and different activities. I mean, whether it's cooking, whether it's even at times cleaning up the house, these moments where we're going somewhere in our mind and accessing, I'd say, that higher consciousness. I see. Uh, looking back, when did you first know that you would be a hypnotist? It was originally just this fascination. I mentioned those stage hypnosis shows. Someone came to my college and did one of those shows. And I didn't volunteer for that one, but I'm watching and just something about it just grabbed my interest. And I went on this, this passionate quest to learn as much as I could. Now, admittedly, I was looking to learn the stage hypnosis first. And every book that I picked up online was all hypnotherapy. So it was this balance between this isn't what I want and, ooh, this is fascinating. Let me finish this one and start the next book. So it kind of developed, first of all, as a hobby. And eventually, I was then working with clients. I was doing presentations and reaching a point of burnout in a previous management career and kind of realizing that, wait a minute, I was earning more in the part-time income, and I was much more passionate about that. So even though the real turning point was getting the job offer that I had originally perceived to be the dream job and just realizing I had no interest in taking it. And instead, here was this skill. Here was this craft that I had been developing that people's lives were changing. I was in control of my own life. And that was that moment of knowing this is what I want to do. This is the direction I'm going. So as you became an entrepreneur and you got moving, I understand there was one thing that you left behind in order to move forward and be more successful. What was that? Yeah, it comes down to we listen to people around us. And yes, there's something to be said about modeling excellence. Go find someone who's done the thing that you want to do and see what works. So my origin story was that I was there at this local networking event 
and they were all going, it's going to be slow your first year. No one's going to come see a new business owner without testimonials or feedback or referral sources. Maybe you shouldn't have made this change as abruptly as you did. And I now have nicknamed this the power of premise that I just refuse to buy into that idea. So instead, I was using that as every opportunity to get out into my community and talk about what I do. So this was a ton of network marketing, going out, giving live talks, presenting what I did professionally and passionately to the community around me. So by doing that, uh, by accident, it produced a lot of clients and I had a packed schedule. <laughs> and the same group that was giving me the scarcity thinking, I was eventually invited back to that group to then lecture them on what I had been doing. But I think what you're uh, kind of hinting at there is that over time, I stopped the live networking. Uh -huh. That the reason behind that was in that environment, think of it like the stand-up comedian who was workshopping material, let's say, in an open mic that I, when I finally had refined down exactly what my elevator speech was, exactly those points that I found people needed to hear to understand what I do and make that next step, that's when, similar to how you and I are connecting right now, I started to capture that information on video. So it's where I'd say in 2019, well into the 21st century, a website is a portal to show videos to build rapport through the screen. That by the time that person comes in, they already know me. By the time I'm there speaking at an organization, they've already been listening to me. So the origin story was that of harnessing that network marketing to really build that initial momentum, but then also recognizing that the things that get you started are not necessarily all those always those things that get you to the next step but still being appreciative of those hours of workshopping that message to then capture that on video and broadcast it nowadays around the world. Well, Jason, you paired two short common words together that have impact and you made this your theme. I want to know how this came about this work smart, which is sort of your theme. <laughs> okay, so I have, yeah, I have to admit the first intention was the game as any entrepreneur would do in the, uh, in the modern era of going, here are all the ideas that I have, and let me play on GoDaddy to see what websites are available. Right. And I think in retrospect, I found out why Work Smart was available because it actually turns out to not be grammatically correct. Right. It should work smarter, which I'm squatting on that website too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's where over time, that mindset that, I'd give you a side note to this, that in the publishing of my book, one of the editors early on goes, you know, there's really not... Uh, that much in the way of a get-rich-quick scheme inside of your book. You know, you detail some really sound strategies, but these things sound like they might take some effort. It's more of a long game sometimes, to which I had to respond, yeah, the first word is work. Right. Uh, <laughs> That's the point. Effort. But it's that ability, it kind of over time developed into this mindset to work with focus, to work with purpose, and to work with intention. And I mean, let's use a simple example on this that, I keep finding a lot of businesses are representing themselves on social media, which in our modern era is something you should absolutely do. Yet I keep running into people who are doing it because, well, that's the thing they feel they're supposed to do, as opposed to they're going in with a specific intention to build that brand, to establish that value, to build a little bit of reciprocity, as it were, in terms of sharing valuable content with an audience who then becomes ravenous to then raise their hand and say, I want some more. So to work with purpose, to work with focus, to work with intention is to really strategize each and every aspect of the business, because this is what this step is doing. This is what this is accomplishing. And this is that community that I'm really helping to inspire 
they're going to end up better off whether they buy the program or not, whether they hire me for their event or just listen to me in a digital format. But to let that become that experience that we're always moving with intention in terms of the growth of our business and our own personal success too. So speaking of moving with intention, it sounds like you were able to move from, uh, you know, doing six figures into doing way more than that. How did you do that? The whole shift came from realizing that the world has become a lot smaller. And I share my community, the hypnotic community was one that up until about maybe three or four years ago, I'd say, had been holding on to these ideas that you really have to be in the room to make it effective. It really has to be the one-to-one -to, -one to be the most ideal situation. And I learned over the years to not stand off to the side and point at something and say, that doesn't work. Instead, step off to the side and ask yourself, how do I make that work even better? So to look at how do we change up the model, I give a simple example in terms of training that I still do live events. I'm sitting here right now in my classroom with the documents still on the wall from the event last week. And as much as that's a quality experience, there's many more people around the world who would interact with me digitally. Now in a digital format, I can give you the transcriptions of the demo that I've done. I can let you watch various versions of the demo done with different people so you can see how it's customized to the different people. If I'm now on a platform speaking to a business group, it's now not just the one-to-one -one, but the one-to-many and arming them to think in terms of that leadership mindset that they're all leaders, they're all working together as a team. And we can use that group dynamic to really compound those changes that we're creating together in a much more dynamic, much more impactful way. So the whole shift was really, again, challenging the model that if anyone ever said it's not going to work that way, uh, game on, because watch this, is <laughs> really what became that thinking to then, again, reach out to groups to begin to spin off some products to really duplicate myself in such a way that some of the people can interact with what I do on their own, on their own time, and many others can then take that next step to either be in the room, observing the experience, or be one-to-one. -one. So... Again, just the world has become a lot smaller. Embrace it. Well, that's that's very true. There's no doubt about that. And Mindful Tribe, as you're listening today, I just want to tell you that you can access Jason Lynette at his website, jasonlynette.com. And he's got a new book, brand new book called Work Smart Business. And he's got a podcast called Work Smart Business hypnosis. So check out all of these and you can connect right there at jasonlinette.com and that's J-A-S-O-N-L-I-N-E-T-T. So check that Which out. The joke is you can actually type in the website incorrectly seven ways it'll redirect to the right way. Oh wow, we, we're, we're going <laughs> to find that no matter letters. what. Uh, can you tell I've had to do that before? Just six letters, L-I-N-E-T-T. -T. Keeps it simple. Right, okay. <laughs> Thanks for spelling it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So um, entrepreneurs, you know, have a lot of trouble sometimes. And we we go on social media and we see all the great things that are happening with social with entrepreneurs. And it's not all that easy all the time. And so what are some of the skills that entrepreneurs are missing that a lot of entrepreneurs are missing that they could really grab onto and that would really transition their business? I think one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had was that of designing systems. So to look at everything we do, and this can become something that involves 
you know, high tech software and automation systems, whether it's email autoresponders, whether it's Aweber, Git response, or even something as robust as Infusionsoft. But we can even start to systematize what we do in a rather bare bones format. So I meet too many people that are kind of working in their businesses week to week and just running everything kind of in that mode that I have to do it all myself. And it's instead the mindset to look at everything you do and ask yourself either, how can I streamline this? How can I duplicate myself in such a way that I don't have to be the one doing this? You know, it's where the simple task of outsourcing, you know, going through the moment of how do we go about hiring someone to then either build or improve a website to look at even the relationship of how we find that person. And I'll give a shortcut to this. Hire someone who you can find that you know does websites, but then maybe start with a micro task to then start with just a logo redesign and then slowly expand the job to go, you know, redesign the drawing of my website, now make the navigation bar operational, now build out the home page. And again, baby steps up into the process. And the benefit of thinking this way systematically is that we won't find ourselves in that sort of outsourcing conundrum where I've met many people stuck inside of that they get too deep into the job and they don't have what they want yet. By going just micro task by micro task, we're kind of like in a dating relationship, seeing if this person is a good match for us. And if they are, keep them, never let them go. If they're not, it becomes the moment to be respectful, to be polite, still pay and then exit the contract. But then once we're into that outsourcing relationship, now we can pivot over to some sort of monthly retainer or hourly contract. And now we're deep into that relationship rather than these moments where, unfortunately, I think all of us have maybe sat and bashed our heads in the keyboard a little too much going, I can't figure out the software. That's your cue to hire someone else, which again, this could be technical. I'd give a story kind of back to something we talked about earlier, that as much as my business nowadays is driven by the web, about four years ago, I think it was, the hosting company where all of my websites were parked, the hosting company got hacked. We found out afterwards it wasn't my website, it was the entire host. And it became this experience that there was questionable content on my websites, so Google did the appropriate thing and took them off the search results. That could have shut down a business. Yet instead, here's a few days of going, why isn't the phone ringing? Not, why is no one buying something? And then loading my own websites to go, oh dear. Uh, <laughs> it became that experience of thinking back again to the network marketing. I had those systems ready to go. I knew exactly where those groups were already gathering. I had my elevator pitches ready to go. And other than a few days of scratching my head and trying to figure out what was going wrong, I was able to then run that system again, go back to those networking events, do more of those live presentations. And the business really didn't have much of a lag in that time frame. So really with every task you do, ask yourself, how do I streamline this? How do I duplicate myself or even better? Can someone else do this specific task better than me? Jason, there's a lot of talk these days about the difference between masculine, feminine. I mean, there's a Gillette commercial that's that's attracting a lot of attention based on, you know, how we perceive our masculine selves and how we how we deliver What's it like when you work with people and when you hypnotize people? Is there a big difference between the masculine and the feminine? Well, what I share is an insight towards this, that if you were to look at books in the hypnotic profession, which I love that question, by the way, uh, if you look at books in the profession that date back to maybe the 1940s or 50s, 
there would be these sort of uh, stereotypical classifications that this group of the community responds better to a uh, either paternal or more authoritative tone, and this group of people responds better to that. And massive generalizations were made in the earlier textbooks, such as, oh, if it's a military person, they enjoy following orders, which I'm way too close to Washington, D.C. Oh, that is not always true. <laughs> <laughs> so it's where we can look at these words of a style of communication, of being either authoritative or permissive, or the, I'll call it out, the slightly sexist terms that were used before, of paternal versus maternal, to which in a lot of my thinking in terms of how we approach even sales communication or even ethical influence, let's rewind it back that instead of making an assumption on somebody, let's begin with a slightly more permissive tone and then use that to establish that rapport, use that to get in sync with somebody. And now once we are both in sync, we can now mutually move towards that agreed upon outcome. Notice again, agreed upon outcome, because it's the old catchphrase that anybody can sell something once, once being the key word, which recognize too that when I say permissive and authoritative uh, terminology and uh, sort of uh, speak, speaking patterns, this doesn't mean I'm soft and you know sort of laid back versus I am now commanding this. The difference between permissive and authoritative language can be as simple as you might be thinking about this versus you are now realizing that. That the tonality shift doesn't have to be that big of a change. And even the use of the vocabulary is very subtle. So it's the mindset, again, we often in hypnotic language patterns uh, call this pacing and leading, uh, which is a side note, if you head over to worksmartbusiness.com, actually I give away a couple of free chapters of the book as a preview, and one of them is exactly on this pacing and leading concept, that instead it's the mindset of getting in sync with somebody, getting into that rapport, and then using that rapport as the catalyst to now progress the, the communication forward. So it's where I'm always going into every communication perhaps with a little bit more of a chameleon-like mindset. I should listen first. I should absorb the environment that's there. And this is all; these are all now things that become assets, that now become tools I can put to use in the appropriate way because I've got the benefit that you know, there's the misconception that with hypnosis, you can make people do things that they normally wouldn't do. When the truth is, you can only really help those people do those things that they've decided they want to do. They just need that little bit of a boost to get there. So as this is the primary work that I do, I'm there at a company's event speaking on the themes they've already decided upon, but they just haven't yet internalized. They haven't yet turned them into the reality. Here's the private client who's coming in that she's already decided she wants to speak with more confidence at work, and yet here's this feeling holding her back. So by the nature of someone hiring me and buying a product of mine or even reading my book, they're already expressing that interest that I want to change something. So it's where some of these linguistic patterns become that little bit of a appropriate secret weapon to help a person reach that goal that they've already decided upon. But yeah, begin in sync with somebody and then use that as the catalyst to then move the communication forward. Jason, you have worked with thousands and thousands of people and, you know, talking to you and being with you, I think, wow, Jason is the man in control. He's the hypnotist. <laughs> Has anybody ever reversed these roles? Has anybody ever bullied you in this role as, you know, in your business and in what you do? There's a principle in hypnotic communication that two of them that I'd share, and this dates back for those of you that have heard of NLP, neurolinguistic programming, 
Uh, there's two what we call presuppositions, and there's many others, but these are the two I live by. The first one being the meaning of the communication is the response that it gets. So if I suddenly said something that offended you, um, I wouldn't take fault to that. Instead, I'd go, well, what was it that I said to create that result? I wouldn't be blaming you for your reaction. That also piggybacks off of this other what we call presupposition that whoever is the most flexible in their communication drives their communication. So therefore, if I said something that accidentally, I'm sorry to advance, uh, offended you, it was then my responsibility to become more flexible in my communication to help, again, move the communication forward in a mutually beneficial way. So what I'm getting at here is that sometimes working with a private client, and I'd say to mind read this, I think, in an appropriate way, if there was some moment where they were trying to turn the tables to then exert some sort of authority over me, the first statement is I never take it personally myself. And instead realizing that perhaps from some, let's call it out, self-defense mechanism, that they're, they're approaching the change from a perceived position of weakness, that you know, here's something I can't do. I mean, I'm working with executives, especially for public speaking issues, Here's a guy I had in the office a few weeks ago that, as he put it, my name's on the side of the building. Every payroll stub has my name on it. There's no reason I should be nervous when I'm up there speaking. I've got every bit of authority over everybody in that building, and yet here I feel this way. And it's kind of where, oh, here's a horrible metaphor. Uh, the injured animal may begin to lash out mm -hmm. almost as self-defense and, and fear that it might get worse. So if there ever is a moment, I mean, years ago, here was someone who came in that uh, perhaps had a hobby and interest in reading books on hypnosis or even, you know, things like Cialdini's Influence or even some of the NLP books. And he sat in the office and he goes, pointing at my bookshelf, I've read every one of those books. And there's nothing you can say to me that I probably don't already know was how he began our communication, which could have been a positioning, a power play Yet to kind of playfully call it out, you know, big smile on my face and the framework of I'm just curious, um, then why haven't you done it yourself yet? He goes, that's why I'm here. It's like, good. Because again, we're appealing to that conscious, unconscious processing of the mind. And sometimes to use the wrong tool, the part of the mind that didn't create the issue. So how about you let me drive today? He goes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes recognize that, you know, it's where any i'm sure you're more the expert on this topic than i am but anything involving bullying sometimes it's more so what is that person going through what's that story that they're trying to satisfy within themselves and i'd say for anyone out there kind of struggling with that moment of making that ask whether it's hiring a business coach whether it's speaking to a family member about something that's bothering you to either hire someone like you or someone like me to help them get through that change recognize that making that ask for help is actually a position of strength. It's that recognition that here's something that I don't yet know how to do on my own, and just a little bit of assistance is gonna help me get there faster. That's a position of strength. Thank you for answering that, Jason. I wanna move forward with five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person that has influenced your life, influenced the mindfulness in your life and where you've arrived at today? Yeah, I would say to look at people who are artistic in nature, but you find out there's something much deeper inside of it. So it's where I come back to a quote that uh, I live by. That's a Steve Martin line. 
about just become so good they can't ignore you. Right. Where to look at the silliness of what he was doing on stage, there was a specific strategy inside of it every step along the way. And to hear some of the commentary, just an amazing thinker in terms of what he does. And I'm a fan of drawing inspiration from rather unique sources. So that's often a mindset that I go back to the various books and biographies that have been out there over the years. Well, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? I would say it affected that ability to respectfully call myself out if I'm in that stressful mode, to recognize that even that stressful mode, anger, resentment, anxiety, whatever it may be, is a moment that from my language is already hypnotic in, in nature. Let's, let's use a simple definition of a word that some people would have connotations of, the word trance, which that's a loaded word, but my definition is rather simple. When internal perception carries more meaning than external reality, so that mindful moment just to take a deep breath, observe the environment that I'm actually in, become aware of my body occupying space is often that number one strategy to dissolve whatever stress or frustration may be there. Right. My next question, uh, Jason, is this. How has breathing uh, been affected in your life through what you do and through mindfulness? You always get to bring your breath with you. And as long as you're breathing and flashing to the old George Burns line that I woke up in the morning, I read the obituaries, I didn't see my name, it was going to be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> but I have that ability to centralize the focus of the breathing. And even at times to play with the breathing that from an almost hypnotic standpoint to play with taking that breath and moving that into the part of the body just to dissolve away whatever stress or unresourceful emotion would be there. Well, it's exciting that your book is just about to be released, Work Smart Business, and it will be released by the time this podcast is, is published. So that's exciting. But are there any other books you would recommend that could help our listeners in this, in this field of mindfulness? In the theme of mindfulness, I think we need to censor the uh, title of the uh, now popular Mark Manson book of... Um, What's that? The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fill in yes, the Blank. <laughs> I like that book. <laughs> Which in many ways is a sort of, let's phrase it as a playful, polite repackaging of a lot of Buddhist philosophy. That especially when we're talking to entrepreneurs, you know, the idea that the more successful we get, maybe our problems will go away. And really at times, the more successful we become, the more interesting our problems become. Uh, I was chatting with you before we jumped on here about a small frustration as the little things you have to become an expert on when publishing a book around just going, you know, the formatting, we need to change it by like a tenth of a point and realizing how much of a dialogue that became. Right. Which that was a frustration the other day, followed by, yeah, we're doing all right if that's the biggest issue we're facing. Uh, my wife and I will occasionally have the moment we've got two small kids, but they spend time with the in laws sometimes. And we had a nice uh, weekend out in D.C. for a night out. And if the biggest frustration was, hey, the movie was longer than we thought, we had to leave the car in that garage and pay an extra 10 bucks for parking. We're doing all right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Jason, if you could change anything in your life or business right now, what would it be? I tend to be someone who wants to, again, play the game of how do we access an asset and leverage that into something else. So really the one change that I would make would have been to have started sooner. Mm. And I got stuck inside of a dollar hour, dollars per hours model for way too many years, which is a valid way to work. And is definitely beneficial yet to start some of these world is a lot smaller mindsets a little earlier. 
that I'm quite happy with where things are right now and embracing here's a bit of momentum that's already in place. The only coulda, woulda, shoulda would have been to have started sooner. Right. Well, it's been great to have you on the show today, Jason. And like I mentioned, we can check out jasonlinette.com and we can we can get our hands on your book, Work Smart Business, and then also get over there to the, your podcast, Work Smart Hypnosis. Any place else we can connect with you, Jason? Again, the name is spelled J-A-S-O-N-L-I-N-E-T-T. And the reason I spell that out, because on all the social media platforms, that's what I'm there as. And uh, love to hear from you soon. That's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Jason. It's been great. Yeah, Bruce, this has been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.